Hi and welcome to the Biz Inc. podcast. Um, I'm really delighted to have Blake Oliver along here today. Hi, Blake. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, so before we get um, started, it'd be great if you could just give everyone listening a bit of background about yourself, um, and then we'll get into the get into the podcast. Sure thing. So, short story is that I started out. Uh, uh, with a bookkeeping company in 2012. It was called Clouds First Accounting, and we were one of the first two zero bookkeepers listed in the United States. Um, and that was kind of an accident um, that that happened. And it ended up being really huge uh, for our business uh, in that we got started getting a lot of online inquiries, and it, it really fundamentally changed for us uh, the way that we were expecting to get customers and grow and, and accelerated a lot of things and especially the move into doing everything in the cloud and, and becoming cloud integrators and, and whatnot. So uh, grew that for about two and a half years and last year we sold the firm to a virtual CPA firm also in the United States um, and now I am taking a little time off and uh, studying for the CPA exam. And uh, that's that's pretty much it in short. Cool. Um, so I read a, a, a blog post that you wrote the other day on, on LinkedIn. I think it was originally on Going Concern, which was about um, whether the accounting industry is going to be Uberized, um, as in Uber the the kind of a t- taxi app. So um, could you tell us a little bit more about that and, and, and your Uber drinking game? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I've been going to a number of conferences. And last year during the conference season, it seemed like everyone was talking about how the accounting profession is going to be Uberized and everyone has to watch out. Uh, because services are going to become commoditized. And something just struck me as wrong about that comparison of what Uber is doing to the taxi industry and what is happening in the accounting world. And I I couldn't place my finger on it, but it just, at the time, it just struck me as just not quite right. Uh, Because I don't know about you, but the, the service that I get from Uber is not anything like the service that I provide to my clients. Um, so that was the inspiration for this this article, and to help myself figure out what is wrong with that comparison, I made this chart, which you can see if if you if you find that article online, it's ongoing concern. But if you just search uh, why there won't be an Uber for accounting, it should pop up. And I I realized that basically it's it's completely different. Um, you know, it's it's a it's the difference between getting from point A to point B. And, um, you know, having clients that don't know where they even need to go, what point B is, right? Helping them figure out what point B is. Uh, Uber drivers aren't going to do that. You have to know your destination and lots and lots of other things. Um, so I, I, I was happy that that got a good reception because I think, you know, it, it, it points to the idea that, or I guess it expresses the idea that not um, every technology solution or marketplace idea is applicable to every industry and 
Um, so I was glad to hear that you agree with me, Matt. <laughs> no, I do. And um, I, I, I attend some of those conferences that you go to, and um, I've heard that same stuff. And another slide that I've actually seen at several conferences um, was that um, you know Uber don't own any cars, and they're the biggest taxi company in the world. Airbnb don't own any rooms, and they're well, I don't know if they are the biggest hotel company in the world, but that's what the slide said. Uh, Amazon doesn't own any bookstores and they're the biggest bookseller in the world, which is which is certainly true. Um, and something struck me is a bit bit off with that slide as well in that, um, you know, um, th these are all kind of interesting businesses in one way. They've been very disruptive. But, you know, a personal example is like my, my dad is a is a publisher. Uh, in, in Liverpool in the UK he's a small local publisher but he's doing pretty well he's making about three 300,000 a year uh, UK turnover so kind of like uh, I guess like half a million US always making a profit but since Amazon came along you know um, a lot of the local bookstores shut down big chains in the UK shut down as well um, he starts selling to Amazon, but they take a margin of 60% goes to them, which just seems wrong. Um, and and they pay on 90 day terms and kind of added to that, you know, um, they they pay very little tax. You know, in the UK, I looked this up before the before the podcast was that, you know, they made in 2015 7.29 billion, but they paid 4.2 million in tax so less than 0.1 percent um and several of those other kind of like disruptive cloud businesses do the same you know where they've got companies set up in in tax havens so um it, it kind of interests me um from the point of view of some of these companies while well, they're super interesting from a technology point of view from a business point of view in some ways, they remind me of the kind of like robber barons of the early 20th century, which are, are kind of um, making Oh, yeah, railroad money. and oil tycoons, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's what it kind of makes me think of. And, you know, um, you know, and I think legislation is struggling to keep up with those companies. Uber is, is you know, will be the best example of that, where they're facing like huge legal battles in, in, in various different jurisdictions. So... A long-winded way of saying here, um, always, you know, as accountants, as business owners, should we be aspiring to be more like Amazon or, um, you know, Airbnb or Uber? Or, or is it really that, you know, those companies could learn a little bit from, from small businesses who often are kind of more involved in their communities, um, who pay their fair tax um you know, burden that's put on them and, and actually in, in some ways contribute a whole lot more. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> long winded no, I, question, I, but <laughs> I'm interested to hear what you think. I, I agree with you. And I, I believe that, and, and I can, I can say this as somebody who has run an online bookkeeping company and I've experimented with offering a very limited service with low um, contacts with customers. And I've also had clients where I was their, their virtual CFO. And so I, I've, I've had a taste of both types of client engagements. Mm -hmm. And it is so much more rewarding for me 
to work with the clients in depth and be their virtual CFO and advisor. That's what I want to do in the future, you know, now that I've built and sold this company. I have no interest in these commodity type services. Um, and I think as accountants, uh, we should be focusing on, you know, the advisory type aspect, like you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so Uber and Amazon, uh, while I love them and I use them, I'm not um, going to try and model my next practice after the way they do things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just for a service type business, um, it's just not the right. It's not the right model. I mean, it's like the difference between, say, um, I don't know, going to we you know we have supercuts here mm-hmm. in in the US and it's in and you know you, you don't know who you're who's going to cut your hair and it's just the different person every time and it's you know not the highest quality but it's cheap and it's the difference between going to somebody um like that and somebody that you know and you have a relationship with and who knows your preferences right mm-hmm. a stylist um and there's so many other examples of of that kind of service and i think people um, as we transition to more of a service-based economy, want that. They want that personal attention. And the beauty of the technology we have available to us is that it makes it possible for us to give that personal attention where it wouldn't have been cost-effective to do it before. So we should be doing the opposite of what people are saying. We shouldn't be using technology to commoditize our services. We should be using technology to make our services more personal. Mm. So expanding on that point, because um, it's something I struggle with. With let's take Amazon as the example. So I've bought a lot of books off Amazon, um, and at BizInc we host our websites on Amazon. So so we spend that. You know, in my personal and business life, I've spent a lot of money with with that company. Um, but but at the other hand, I, I love um local bookstores and I wouldn't want local publishers which obviously is quite close to me because that's what my dad does you know these kind of as you say more bespoke more more value-add type businesses but actually Amazon is putting those people out of business so every dollar I spend with them um, (laughs) is a dollar I don't spend with that other business Um, and I I think that's you know, so are we kind of sacrifice? You know, for, for the sake of convenience, are, are we actually sacrificing um, some of those kind of real interesting, uh, kind of more bespoke businesses? Do you think? I, I, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I, I do know there, and I don't have them a specific example for you, unfortunately. But I do know there are examples of specialty boutique stores that are thriving even though they are facing competition from Amazon. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're thriving is because they offer specialty expertise mm-hmm. that you can't get or, or a selection that you can't get on you know, a major retailer site like uh, that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is, you know, that's what's going to survive in terms of bookstores or retail or boutiques is um, anything that requires a lot of expertise to sell. Right or or specialized knowledge, um, and you know I think firms, you know, are going to be the same way uh, in in that uh, if you have specialized industry expertise or whatnot, you're not going to be a, a, under threat from you know the Amazon of accounting or the Uber of accounting or or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I I mean, does anyone? Uh, I love Uber and Airbnb, 
And at this point, I've, I've actually considered getting rid of my car and just taking Uber everywhere. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> I actually have calculated the value of my, like, if you calculate the value of your time in addition to the wear and tear and gas um, of your car in Los Angeles, I, uh, it makes actually a perfect sense to pay for Uber so that you can be productive on the road, take your iPad with you and get work done. Right. <laughs> um, and if you calculate the value of your time in that and you make a good hourly rate, then it's a no brainer to do that. Um, so I love, I love those kind of services because, uh, the net result to the economy when you actually factor in the value of people's time is gigantic, right? We, we waste so much time in LA driving and that's where I'm, I'm I live in LA we, uh, it's, it's, it's an incredible drain on resources, right? So, um, it's just like, just like free trade, there are costs, but there are also net benefits that are quite, uh, ex- extreme. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know. Unfortunately, I don't think that's a lot of solace to somebody who is, you know, being put out of business by these models. No, well, like I was reading an article about NAFTA and how it affected a town in in Virginia, actually. Um, But but like, I'm sure this is a pretty big political thing in the US at the moment. But this article stated, yeah, there was a net benefit for the country. But obviously, in individual towns, they got smashed because their factory work went to Mexico or wherever. Um, So they lost out. But, you know, um, yeah, the, the net benefit is there. Well, and that's that's it. Is that the the net benefits do not flow evenly to everyone in the economy? They tend mm-hmm. to cluster at the top, uh, yeah. or with with the people who are best able to take advantage of these changes that are happening. And you know, so I mean, that's why um, there are so many disaffected people in the industrial Northeast here in the United States. Um, the manufacturing activity is gone from those states and is not going to come back because um it's it's not even that it's moved abroad uh for example the steel industry here it's all moved to these uh, the the steel industry has moved away from the from the northeast to smaller mills uh, that are more efficient in the south and elsewhere in the country mm-hmm. uh, it's it's moved internally right mm-hmm. into areas that are just more favorable to um manufacturing uh, management mm. uh, and and cost structures and 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 you know costs right in general. So uh, unfortunately, right, those people that want to stay where they grew up and um, are not are not going to see the benefit, just the costs. And that's I think you know a big reason why we have we have it's a big reason why we we have the rise of Donald Trump in this country mm-hmm. and the Brexit in the UK. Yeah. Well, well actually, touching on that. Um, the, whether I'd call it political turmoil, there's certainly a huge amount of upheaval in the US and UK. And I think um, that's going to happen in other countries because, as you mentioned, you know, wealth is clustering into into smaller kind of uh, pockets of, of people, then inevitably there's going to be some reaction to that in one way or another. Um, so yeah. on that, I'm not going to start talking politics, but um, do you actually think... It's more important because, okay, you can vote, but but what difference is that going to make? You know, you've got kind of two choices um, in the US, you know, in the UK. It's it's two kind of choices that probably weren't understood that well (laughs) either. But kind of strikes me that actually where you spend your dollars 
is probably more important than than who you vote for now in that the power of corporations is so large that actually where you spend your money could have more influence than than actually where you put your cross on the ballot paper oh absolutely so you're you know my vote i I live in california and Mm -hmm. my vote is irrelevant in the um presidential election because Mm -hmm. Uh, statistically speaking, it's impossible for anyone but Hillary Clinton to win the state. Yeah. Um, and so the only thing that I can do is vote with dollars. Yeah. That's, and, and that's the way it is in basically all but 10 of 10 battleground states. And maybe only five of them are truly competitive. So unless you live in Colorado or Florida or Ohio, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, the, those kind of states, um, you don't have much say. Um, it's just an interesting political system, you know, that we have here. So I, I agree with you, and it's the same, right? If you you go back to our early earlier part of the discussion, if you really want to have an influence, um, you know, spend your dollars at local shops, yeah, exactly, not on Amazon. Although, you know, it may make us feel better, but can one person really influence a macroeconomic trend that is irreversible? Um, you know, I, I'm the, I, I didn't take too much economics in college, but uh, based on what I did learn, I, I'm doubtful that that is actually going to help. And to go back to the original topic of discussion, which is, right, well, how this is all affecting the accounting industry, <laughs> um, it, it, these are trends that are not reversing uh, the movement to cloud technology and mm-hmm. the flattening of borders so that we can serve clients in you know all over the world that 's not changing it 's happened and there's it 's not going to go back i don 't think politically it can happen and so whether or not we like it, we have to be prepared for it and we have to um, you know look out for our own economic interests and 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 do our best right and there 's nothing wrong with that. I don't, I think, but, but we can do it in a way that, um, makes us happy, right. Mm -hmm. And and where we feel good about it. So, you know, you can provide a more personal service versus a more commoditized service and you can, you can thrive. I think, I think it's possible. And, and it's just, it's, it's like you said earlier, and I don't know if you said this when we, when we were recording or not, but you said that technology is a tool, Mm -hmm. right? So we can use it. Uh, in good or bad ways, and um, you know, let's let's talk about the good ways that we can use it. Mm. Well, one thing I wanted to talk about was that um, I guess um, uh, so it, uh, now and again I see on social media that or, or quite often actually pictures of accountants doing things like their bank reconciliation on a beach. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now. That's always put from, this is cool, I'm on a beach and I'm doing back, bank reconciliation. And I yeah, look at that it and is. think, that's horrific. <laughs> Personally, it's... I think, like, if I'm on a beach, I want to be relaxing or surfing or something. Yeah. Um, now, now like... it's gotten to be a cliche. It's gotten to be a cliche, and I think we all do it because we like to show off, right? <laughs> uh, and I know it's, it's, it's sort of a, it's a, it's a jab at the folks who are still stuck in their cubicle jobs or their offices. And, but yeah, I mean, who really wants to be doing that when they could be out enjoying the beautiful weather? Well, I guess, I guess my point is, is that well, a couple of things is like, um, you know, technology, the promise of technology it, it, sort of in the past 
was that it was going to set us free, it was going to give us more time. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's patently not happened. People do do more more work now th- than they, well, I, I don't know about more. They certainly don't do less. Well, no, it's true. It's It's been shown that if you allow workers to work at home mm-hmm. and you don't require them to come to the office, they will do more work than mm-hmm. if you make them come to the office every day. Okay, yeah. Well, so even, even though you're not requiring them to work 9 to 5, they will, on average, work and I think it's a it's astonishing. It's quite a large amount, ten to twenty percent more, I believe. Okay, okay. Um, so you're right. So I think there's that part of it. Um, and um, do, do you also think that, that there is no such thing as work life balance now? That that's just a to me that's like a nebulous term because I feel like technology has merged the two together to the point where people are always on their phones, emails are dropping, and 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 there can never be balanced. The two things have become, you know, blended together. Well, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm actually, it's funny that you brought this up because two hours ago I was, um, in the pool mm-hmm. and I had my computer on the side of the pool on a towel and I was working, you know, <laughs> half in the pool. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I like it. And, I can do that because I don't have a traditional job. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I do sometimes get overwhelmed and I, I want to turn things off. And I think we just have to make, um, make space for that, right? Take a day off and put your away message up and turn off your phone and don't answer any emails. Mm. Um, or, or leave your phone on because if people really need you, they'll call you, right? If it's an emergency. Um, but I mean, honestly, I have trouble doing that. I get a, I get a, there's, there's studies that show we get an endorphin rush, you know, from a new email, right? And it's, <laughs> it's like when we don't have that stimulation, it's almost like going through withdrawal. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, lo- I loved building my own company. And so for me, it was sort of an all the time thing and mm-hmm. it was, I needed work life balance. So, you know, if that's possible, then. Well, that, that's the thing that Gary Vaynerchuk says. If um, you'll know who he is, Blake, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So um, he always and, looks and, really stressed out, though. So I'm not sure. He does. <laughs> he, he's, he's pretty angry. <laughs> um, yeah. If anyone doesn't know who he is, he's a guy who took his father's wine business and turned it into, I think it was a liquor store, and turned it into like a sixty million dollar wine business. It was still a two million dollar a year business. It wasn't nothing, but. Um, very successful on social media. Anyway, his big thing is that like you've got to love what you do because you're going to be doing it 24/7. So don't even try and create work-life balance. Just just love what you do. Um, yeah, that that really helps. Or or even if you don't love what you do, have you know own the business because then at least you benefit from all that hard work you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to just working for a paycheck. Yeah. Um, which you know it makes it a lot easier to work eighty hours a week when you're building equity. Absolutely. Well, one of my favorite phrases is an entrepreneur is someone who works eighty hours a week, so they don't have to work forty hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. But you know, not everyone can be an entrepreneur, so I feel like it's sort of a it's it's not fair, right? To mm-hmm. to to go out there and and put up all these like dear Gary Vaynerchuk does. He puts up all these Facebook ads and he says, you know, you gotta you gotta live this like 
incredibly high energy, work all the time lifestyle. Everyone has to, you know, this is the way to live. Well, it's not for everyone. Yeah, exactly. You know? I, I know in particular for women, it's not, if you want to have children, it's not good. So it's like, well, you know, where's the consideration for family life and, and all that stuff. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because my, my wife has a very traditional corporate job and works, you know, very regular hours and I'm the opposite. Mm. So I often, and, and she's very happy and I'm also very happy. Yeah. So I, I don't think that it's fair to, and I joke, I call her the cubicle dweller, you know, <laughs> um, I, I, but I don't think it's not fair. You know, that's a joke. It's not fair to say that everyone has to be an entrepreneur or everyone has to have a traditional job, right? We need to be, we need to be, you need to, people need to do what makes them happy. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm kind and, of and they need to take breaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's really important. That is really important. Um, kind of on some of that softer stuff, um, it kind of struck me the other day, I was working with an accounting firm and looking at their um, partners and their board, and like most of them were heavily involved in the community. They were um, JP, Justice of the Peace. Is it? Is that the same? Do you have that concept in the States? Um uh, I'm not familiar with that yeah, term. Okay. So it's basically um, you can do things like if someone needs a, a signature witnessed, you know, to get a contract, they will do things like that. So they're fulfilling like a, a, a legal role in the community, but, but without being kind of like a legal professional. Um, okay. Yeah. We, I don't think, well, I mean, we have notaries. But notary it's public. A... Yeah. That, that, that kind of thing. Okay. So a lot of them will do that. A lot of them will be on, on charitable boards um, and, and that kind of thing. And I think as a profession, accountants do give a lot to the to the community. And I suppose um, I, I'm sort of like tiring all these corporations like Amazon and Uber with, with the same brush. But, you know, they're obviously driven by the profit motive um, first and foremost. Um, do you think accountants have got an important role to play there both in I mean obviously in the community but also helping business owners um help their community too or do you think the profit motive is everything and that that you know we don't need to take that into consideration I com I think the profit motive is completely the wrong way to think mm -hmm. in our industry I think that um well it depends on what you want but if you if you want to have long-lasting, rewarding relationships with your customers and you want to get amazing referrals, you have to be invested in their success just as much as you're invested in your firm's success. Mm -hmm. Everyone has to profit from the transaction, right? That's mm -hmm. the, you know, there can be no profit unless we both benefit. Um, and so that's what, that's what is important to focus on. And you can do that even more if you're more involved in your clients' businesses. So, um, you know, I try to get involved in helping them make strategic financial decisions and understand the financial statements. Um, uh, and, you know, I'm experimenting now uh, doing weekly meetings to review the financials. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're meeting every single week. The books are up to date every week. And uh, we can... Uh, it's so much more um, useful to be meeting every week than once a month or once a quarter or annually. Mm. Um, and it doesn't have to take more time necessarily because those meetings can be shorter. Yeah. Right. But I'm, I'm much more involved in decision making. Um, I think that 
the promise of technology is that we can, it's, it's what a lot of people have been saying is use technology, close your office and work from home. And guess what? You never have to see your clients. Isn't that great? (laughs) Right. But, but that's not what we should be aiming for. I thought that was what I wanted to do. And I've seen other accountants do that, but I don't think anymore after a couple of years of doing it, that's what we ought to be aiming for. I think what we ought to be aiming for is maybe keeping that office, maybe downsizing it uh, so we still have a place where customers can come and meet us in person, but also using our time that we have to get out into the community or get out and go to our clients and meet them. Um, and that way we, we have the benefit of that FaceTime that you just cannot substitute. There is no substitute for that. The best relationships I've had with clients have been the ones where they are here in the Los Angeles area and I can go meet them. Um, they have been my best clients. And I think I've been a better provider to them as opposed to people who I've never met that I'm serving. Yeah, fun, that's, I was kind of going to ask you, you pretty much uh, answer my next question really, which was um, – you know, I think the account the accounting profession is a relationships business. And mm-hmm. do you think there is too much of an obsession with technology? I mean, going back to the tool thing, you know, that kind of I wouldn't say it's the best accountant I've ever had. My current accountant is very good, but probably the one who was the most influential to me in my, my business career. Um, this is going back over ten years. So there was no cloud software and he did everything in Excel, but the relationship I had with him, the advice he would give me was incredible. So the tool didn't really matter, you know, um, right. it, it made, it would make it easier for him if it was on zero or QBO or whatever. Um, so, so do you think the, the cloud thing has been really important? It's, it's been a big driver in the industry, but do you think we need to get back to focusing on relationships again? Right. The, the relationships, like you said, are the key to the business, right? Um, the technology is just a tool. So if you think that cloud accounting is going to replace the need to have those relationships, that's a, that's a mistake. Um, and we shouldn't be using the technology to reduce our interaction with clients in meaningful ways. We can, what we should, I guess we should, we should, because a lot of people are using technology to try to automate collection of data, right? So they don't have to talk to the clients. Mm. Um, but I, the, that's okay because that interaction is not necessarily meaningful. What is meaningful to the client is when you ask, you know, how are your kids doing, right? Or when you ask, you know, what did you do for your vacation and how was it? Mm. That's the kind of stuff you definitely don't want to get rid of because that's what keeps them around, um, and it's far more important to the client than any of the work you do. Mm. You know, I mean, you can, you can be actually a pretty mediocre accountant and have really great relationships and just do just fine. You know, mm. um, that's way more important. And like you said, it doesn't have to be these kind of like big formal meetings all the time. I, I was talking about this with, um, somebody the other day. It was like, I don't necessarily want a meeting every week or month with my accountant um that that might be I, i'm really busy you know so i might not want that but but what i really want is for them to just phone me out of the blue and say 
oh, I was looking at your your file or, or the bank, and you know, unless you do this, you're going to run out of cash in six weeks. Or have you have yeah. you thought about this? Or I was talking to a guy, and we should connect you two because there could be a, a real benefit. That's the kind of thing I want. Just just a reactive thing, and that 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 one minute call would be a, that's incredible. You know, um, so, so that's what the interaction doesn't need to be this kind of onerous meeting. I don't think. Exactly. And, and, um, I should clarify that when I talk about this weekly meeting, it's more like a check-in, right? It's like, it can be as short as five minutes. Mm. Um, and it's just a, here's the status, check your cash flow. It looks like we're good. Payroll's all set. Just wanted to update you, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. Oh, and you know, how was your weekend? Um, that's, that's the kind of thing we should be going for. Mm. Uh, with this particular client, it, it, um, that I'm thinking of, it's a scheduled thing because that works best for her. Uh, but like you said, it doesn't have to be that way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it should adapt to the preference of the customer. For my uh, you know, fellow millennials, that tends to be a text message, right? It, t- it could be just uh, FaceTime or something like that. Mm-hmm. So we have to be understanding of what people want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Um, so we're going to talk about the, the future of firms and we've not talked about that at all i did i did well, I, think we have, we, I mean we've talked about the big picture yeah and that that all directs this you know yeah uh, I, think so. the, I think it does um so please well i was looking at an accounting firm yesterday and they, they did don't describe themselves as an accounting firm they just the actual phrase was professional business services company and they had an accounting division a bookkeeping division a business advisory division wealth management and and legal divisions but they just marketed themselves as, as business services they ran like a like a normal corporation rather than a partnership or you know a different entity than accountants normally use and they had a ceo who's a who's a non-accountant you know, so so very much set up like a sort of a normal business company. You know, um, right. do, do you think that's the way things are going to go if you know compliance is being squeezed and and that kind of thing, or or do you think there's going to be another look for an accounting firm in say you know ten years time? It's a good question. I I'm a big fan of the corporate model of mm-hmm. governance uh, in that. It just makes it a lot easier to get things done. Mm. But it doesn't mean you have to abandon the partnership model. I've seen accounting firms that um, have dozens of partners uh, who, uh, according to the partnership agreement, elect you know, a, an executive board that basically functions like a board of directors. Right. And then you know, there's also a managing partner who effectively works like a CEO. Mm-hmm. So you know, I don't think you have to be a corporation, but you can adopt the model of governance where it's not decision by committee for everything Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. that's what kills i think um progress in firms Mm. Uh, and also the idea that you know every partner owns a chunk of these customers or Mm. owns a particular chunk of the business uh, because that's that's just like fiefdom right Mm. (laughs) it's just you, you may have a kingdom but really every you know, there's a bunch of lords who have their own little fiefdoms, and and it's not really an integrated system, right? You're just sharing costs and brand in a lot of ways. Mm. So, you know, I think it's for instance, I think it's really important to have um, partners 
or shareholders or managers in the firm that don't uh, have to do any client services. They can simply focus on management and growing the firm. A lot of accounting firms don't have that. Mm. And you know, if you don't have that, then during busy season, you're not going to be able to accomplish anything. It's the classic busy season, uh, everything stops sort of thing, right? Yep. And then everyone goes on vacation because they're all tired. And then they sort of like get back together halfway through the year and then they make some plans and then they start executing on those plans. And then th- after three months, it's busy season again, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So, so um, that's, those are the two things I think firms can do right now is, is you know, number one, adopt a corporate model of governance. And number two, um, wait, what was number two? Oh yeah. <laughs> Assign partners. Yeah. <laughs> who don't, who can work on the business and don't serve customers. And, and do you think that the, um, accounting, you know, w- will people, will we be talking, you know, let's just say 10 years or will we be talking about accountants? Will that part be, I guess that compliance part, be de-emphasized and um you know people who just do that might get squeezed out might die out and you have to offer more than that or do you think that's a long way off well i don't know if this is going to work but i'm i'm plotting out my my new firm that i want to build right now Mm -hmm. so i'm getting I'm, i'm working on getting my cpa and i'm sort of imagining what i will do after that um and so what is the cpa firm of the future well i think that what I would do actually is, is I don't want to specialize in tax. I don't want to do tax. I want to understand it, but I don't want to do it. So mm-hmm. what I would do is I would find somebody who just wants to do tax and hire them um, to churn out tax returns. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to make that person a partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the compliance aspect. It's handled. I'm overseeing all the client relationships, and I've got somebody who's going to do all those tax returns for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a CPA, maybe it's an EA, right? Just somebody I know is going to do solid work with some oversight. Mm-hmm. Same thing for any of the other compliance issues. Maybe I can contract that out to the appropriate people. My clients aren't going to care that I'm not doing it because they they want me to just be handling everything, sorting it all for them. Mm-hmm. So I think um, that could be very profitable. And I've seen accountants who do that in particular in LA business managers mm-hmm. are experts at this. Uh, and I think actually that's a model that will grow elsewhere. It's when sort you, of limited. When you say business managers. Yeah. It's so it's, this is a very LA thing. This is a very Hollywood thing, right? <laughs> so a business manager for those of you who are not familiar with it, um, is like, a CPA, uh, they don't have to be, they, they often are, but um, they're, they're your accountant who not a, handles your entire financial life, essentially. So think of them as your personal, if you're an, you're an actor or an athlete, um, you don't want to touch your money, you don't want to deal with it, um, you can hire a business manager who t- takes care of everything for you. They handle all aspects of your financial life. And you pay them... Um, typically 5% of your income. So it's a very expensive service, but it's a very high-touch service. Um, So examples might be if you are um, an actor, successful actor, and you want to purchase a $10 million home, you just call up your business manager and say, hey, I want to buy a home, how do I do it? And that person sorts it all out for you. Mm -hmm. 
um, and in terms of getting you the credit and everything you need. Um, or, you know, you want to buy a car or, you know, you've got, you want to start making some investments, whatnot. So they're like a, it's like a financial planner. Um, maybe that person is a financial planner. Maybe they simply outsource that work to someone else. It doesn't matter to you. That's the person you call. Yeah. Um, so technology is enabling us to offer something approximating that type of hands-on service, but at a much lower price point. Yeah. And so I think that's the, that's the model that I've seen in LA that I really admire because it's so valuable to the people who can afford it. Uh, they're totally willing to pay that. And um, I don't see why we can't figure out a way to do a lean version of that, call it lean business management, for uh, clients who um, you know, are not um, elites in the entertainment world. Mm. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. I I think you're right. And I had this conversation um, with somebody else the other day who's chartered accountant, doesn't do accountancy anymore. But I asked him if he ever thought about creating a firm again. And he said he did. And he said the same as you, that he wouldn't do any accountancy. <laughs> he, he would completely <laughs> outsource that. He said, he said it pained him to say it, but he didn't think that was the important part of what he could offer. Um and I guess I said to him, I suppose it's the, the analogy that I used with, with Biz Inc. was that, you know, we do websites for clients and you obviously have to host those websites As in, in one way. You know, if you don't have the hosting, you don't have you don't have a business, but nobody chooses you because of your hosting. You know, nobody goes, oh, I, right. I kind of thought, thought that, you know, the, the tax return is the same thing. Nobody goes. That was the, you know, that was a brilliant tax return. I love that tax return. You know, if the way they, they don't talk, yeah, we actually host on Amazon. Funny enough, we've been talking about. Nobody comes to us and goes, that hosting is is amazing. I love it. You know, I love the specs yep. of your server and all of that. But we have to have it. It gets us to the starting line so we can do the cool stuff. And I kind of thought, well, that's kind of like the same thing with the compliance work, right? You know, as a business, you don't relish that stuff. You just want to get that done and then get on to growing your business. And that, and that's where I see a future firm can, you know, can really help someone. So do you mind if I share an analogy from my own experience? No, sure. That I, so uh, I, before becoming a bookkeeper and then an accountant and then hopefully a CPA, I majored in music and I uh, attempted briefly a career as a professional cellist. And so I think there's actually a, a parallel here between um, or a comparison that can be made between compliance work or tax work or just churning out um, financial statements or whatnot um, and advisory services. Well, that's very similar to just being uh, a section player in an orchestra versus being the conductor of that mm -hmm. orchestra, right? So – you know, the tax guy who just turns out tax returns, he's, he's the cellist sitting, you know, fifth chair in the section. And if you're in the audience, you, you, you're never going to pick him out individually, right? He has, um, you know, he doesn't make any decisions. Uh, he just does the work. Then you have the conductor who's on the podium who calls the shots and directs all of the players in the orchestra. And so that is what I imagine the ideal firm is like that, right? where I want, to be, I want to be the conductor and I want to be um, you know, coordinating the efforts of all of these other people who are helping to serve our client, mutual client, which I guess in the analogy is the audience. Yeah. 
and and that's the job that you know um it's interesting because it's also highly paid compared to other music jobs uh, in professional orchestras i and it's very competitive and there aren't that many of them mm. so hopefully that doesn't translate exactly into the accounting profession but it it sort of goes along with the trends that we were talking about earlier where the rewards are flowing to the top so so it might be that there aren't as many um there are more section players and fewer say partners in the future but the partners that stick around will benefit greatly yeah cool well i, think I don't know if that's necessarily a good good note to end on <laughs> <laughs> I think you said macroeconomic trends at the moment are uh, certainly pointing that direction. Depressing macroeconomic trends. Uh, have a great day, everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just reading um, Capital in the 21st Century by Thomas Piketty. So it's uh, it's pretty dense, actually. But yeah, that certainly, certainly illustrates that point. But then, yeah, he's got a very certain perspective. Well, you um, know, it, it may not be so bad because eventually it'll get so, to the point where we have to have something like, you know, universal basic income and then everyone will be happy because they're getting free money (laughs) (laughs) well we will wrap it up there because we normally keep these to half an hour but it's always great talking to you blake and i think that's been that's been fascinating but we best stop before we create any more convoluted analogies (laughs) before we get in get ourselves into any uh political trouble right yeah 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 absolutely Good stuff. Well, I appreciate that. And what, what we'll do is um, when we put the podcast up, um, we'll include some links to some of the stuff we talked about, particularly uh, your post on LinkedIn, which is which is a really good one. And that um, I, I love that chart that you did showing why accounting is, is not like Uber, because I think it's, you know, it's it's interesting beyond that comparison in that um, it, I think it demonstrates the value of um, th- that accounting professionals can have with with their clients. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, I'll I'll leave it there. Um, and and thanks again, Blake. Uh, this was great. I I actually out of this conversation, I have so many more ideas. So um, <laughs> it was very helpful. Cool. All right. Brilliant. 